It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. So no one knows this, but prior to hitting the record button on this episode, there was a lot of nervousness here on This Might Get Uncomfortable. It's like, how do we start the episode? I don't know. So I'm starting the episode because here we are out of the gates with our old friend, Sonny. And I'm curious, Sonny, in you being such an incredible person who is spreading the word about veganism and conscious living and in beauty and all those things, are you in your sweats right now? That's what I really want to know. Okay, that's a duh, right? Like, who is who is not in their sweats right now? <laughs> yeah, that or pantless, right? One or the other. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been letting my hygiene go. I haven't been washing my hair, washing my face. <laughs> like, it's, it's a mess. Okay, that's really interesting to me. And, and seriously, because you have this wonderful brand that you've created around natural beauty and eco-conscious living, cruelty-free living. And so what's that been like in terms of this public facing brand and persona that you have? And then being like, yeah, I didn't take a shower today. Man, I don't plan on it. Like, have you been talking about that publicly? Or is that something that you're just like revealing for the first time here with us? So you know what? It isn't even like a reveal. This isn't even quarantine related. This is just how I am. I'm just a beast. <laughs> like, I, I swear, mostly because my hair is pink. Like, I only wash my hair like a couple times a month. I know like people think that's nasty, but that's how I do. <laughs> and I literally only paint my face and get pretty when I have to like post something and there's like pressure to do it. I think people assume I just wear makeup every day and unless I'm like purposefully doing something or going somewhere like nah, <laughs> not today. That's so relatable. I'm so glad that it started off talking about that cuz I feel like there is so much pressure to position ourselves in a certain way online. And I'm really curious to hear you talk about this because we've all been in this like vegan content creator influencer space for so long and watching it evolve and how sometimes it feels like everybody needs to look perfect all the time. And then we go through waves where it's like, no, you need to share how authentic you are and talk more about how you really are off camera and not everything is this highlight reel. And and it's interesting. I mean, I really love it when women just share the reality of their lives outside of like the few moments we see of them on social media because I'm actually reading a really great book right now called Beauty Sick. And it is like this dense book about beauty culture. And it's really fascinating all the research that's been done about how seeing images of women in particular in the media really shapes our own perceptions of ourselves. And I'm fascinated by things like shame and how a lot of us make assumptions about how others live based on what we see of them in certain circumstances. And I think being online is a great example. And I'll just come out and say, I'm so similar to you, Sunny, where I actually dread going on camera a lot of times because it just feels like so much effort to try to like be quote presentable because I just love not taking showers unless I have to. <laughs> you know, like I mean, I'm somebody that actually was taught by a hairdresser that it's 
better not to wash your hair very much. And I was like, wow, I'm so glad I got permission not to, <laughs> not to shower every day. I mean, I actually think there's benefits to showering daily just to wash off anything that your skin gets. But in terms of your hair, I don't think you have to wash it that frequently. But there's yet this like misconception or belief system out there that that if you don't wash your hair, it's like dirty and it's going to be greasy. And then thank goodness we have things like dry shampoo where we can hide the grease (laughs) or hats and hairstyles that we can wear and all that. So I just think it's really neat that you're talking about that. It's a great place to start. I feel like on my social, uh, like the most common question I get asked, like, yeah, more than ever is like, how do you keep your pink so vibrant? And I just tell them, I don't wash my hair, like, especially <laughs> with the pink every time because it's semi-permanent. There's no such thing as those colors in permanent color. So every time you wash, you see all this pink going down the drain. So it's like, ooh, okay, I need to fix this. And yeah, dry shampoo is a life. But yeah, I know some people are totally grodied out by it. And I also don't have the hair type. Like I know people with really fine hair, like it gets oily faster. So they need to wash it more frequently. And I luckily don't have that hair issue. (laughs) I'm curious about something in terms of beauty culture, since you brought it up and I'm speaking from complete ignorance, which is why I'm asking a lot of questions. But from an external perspective, it seems like there is a complexity and a wastefulness that plagues a lot of the, I don't know, a lot of the beauty culture I've seen. You know, when I do come across a beauty video and watch, which is not often, I'm not the target market, you know, but it just seems like there's like so many products and so much money being spent and so much complexity and so many, I don't know, steps that what you're talking about, Sonny and Whitney, you too, is like, oh, actually, that's almost like a myth. It doesn't have to be this super complicated, super wasteful thing where you're getting 50 different products and taking all this time and probably not even using all of them and throwing some of them away. So I'm curious, you know, how you two have addressed that or maybe faced that in terms of the beauty culture as women of this pressure to have a bunch of stuff and really expensive stuff and super fancy skin creams and doing like 20 steps to take care of your skin. I mean, how do you simplify it and kind of demystify the wasteful aspects of that culture? Well, like Whitney said, like I dread filming things or doing a photo shoot because it's so labor intensive and time consuming. But you do kind of need a lot of products, even for like an everyday kind of no makeup makeup look. And it's insane. Like if you go a day without makeup and someone's just used to seeing you online with makeup or like a friend of someone you see sometimes, they'll they'll ask like if you're feeling okay, if you're sick. Like I've had close male friends of mine do that when I'm wearing makeup, like I look healthier and this and this and that. So there's that. I mean, when I go to the grocery store or just running errands, like I don't care who sees me at all, but every once in a while, like I'll get recognized, like vegan beauty review style, and I die inside. Like a part of me is dead. Oh my God. And I always apologize, like, oh my God, I look homeless. I'm so sorry. And like, they don't care, and I shouldn't care. But when I think it's time to play dress up and look a certain way, I'm committed and I'm down to do it. It's just not something I look forward to. It's like work. It's not necessarily fun. Yeah. I mean, that's so relatable. And I think that women struggle with that in general, even if they don't have an online brand, they have this fear that they're going to run into somebody when they don't feel like they look their best. And again, like for me, I actually find it incredibly refreshing. And I think that there's a lot of shame put out by the media. And we've grown up with seeing like magazines 
where they catch people. They're like, these people are just like you. They're not wearing any makeup. Look how bad they look. And we start to associate that no makeup or when you don't brush your hair, wear certain clothes that people are going to judge us, which I think is really sad. And it's like we kind of have to hide it away. And it's also been something that's come up a lot during quarantine where people are working from home and on Zoom and you have to feel like you have to wear something on Zoom to present yourself a certain way. And they actually caught a news broadcaster or something, someone like that. And because he didn't realize the camera was showing his full body, he was sitting in a chair and he was wearing like a really nice shirt on the top, but in like a pair of underwear or something on the bottom. And he didn't think anybody could see it. That's amazing. And it's like, that's so relatable though. And that leads me to ask Sunny, what is it about beauty that got you so into it? And why were you inspired to start a career around that? Did you even mean to start your career? Or are you kind of like me where when I started Eco Vegan Gal, I was doing it mostly as a hobby. And then it became a career over time as my passions grew and as it became something more legitimate. First of all, which year did you start Vegan Beauty Review? So I started my blog in 2007 and I didn't make any money until recently because that was like, there was no social media back then. Like we were all just like bloggers, right? So that's why the word influencer is especially like cringy. It's like, no, I'm a blogger that just happened to have a social that matched my blog name or whatever. But I started in 07. Honestly, I was searching the interwebs is what I almost said for beauty products, suggestions, reviews, any, I was looking for the content that I wound up eventually creating. And there was literally nothing out there. It was like barren. It was crazy. So I was basically just filling a void. And even though I couldn't really monetize at that stage, like getting free products was like a really big deal back then. Like I was so stoked. I didn't need money. That's all I needed. And I was more of like a skincare junkie and have been actually since I was little, like I would go through my mom's stash of her like oil of Olay or whatever, like her nice things. And when she wasn't looking like I'd smear fancy oils on my face just to feel fancy. But yeah, makeup's nice too, but I'm more of a skincare gal. So that's uh, like at night, even though I can always wash my face in the morning. <laughs> um, like at night, I do a pretty strict nighttime regimen that's very involved. I want to hear about this. My boyfriend makes fun of me where I'm like, I'm going to get ready for bed. And then like, I come back 30 minutes later, all oily. Like my face looks like a glazed donut. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I want to preface this. I was thinking, I think it was today, how I feel a little bit conflicted, especially as I've been reading this beauty sick book. Because there's part of me that wants to share information because people are looking for it and they're genuinely curious. But then there's another part of me that doesn't want to be perceived as somebody. I don't want it to be like, I'm a woman, so I'm going to share my beauty routine because that's my value in the world is how beautiful I am, right? It's like, I want people to see me and other women as more than our appearances. but. I also feel like it's really helpful to talk about our skincare routines because taking good care of your skin has a long-term effect on you. And, and even men, I mean, Jason's actually done a lot of experimenting with his own skincare. So you could chime in on this too, Jason. Oh, I will. I'm curious for you, Sonny, because this is like, you're so in this world. And I like learning from people like you that try out a lot of different things, especially cruelty-free products and natural products, which I'm passionate about too. 
Because I often, admittedly, end up just using products that I'm given to try out. Like right now, I'm really into Derma Ease product line, but they sent it to me for free. And so it's like what I happen to have. And I do really like it, but it's not something I went and bought because somebody recommended it to me. So that's always interesting too, is a lot of the times I'm just like trying things out that I've been given out of convenience. <laughs> but when it's like I run out of things, I start to feel like, hmm, like what do I buy? And that's where people like you are really helpful because it's helping determine what you find is really working with after years and years of research. I mean, I'm like you in a way too, where I haven't purchased skincare, I think since I started my blog, I'm very blessed in that way. But I definitely do gravitate to like certain favorites. And even though like I talk about like being a potato at home and not dressing up, like I'm still hella vain. And I know that age shows first on the face. I'm 40, you guys, I'm 40. <laughs> and you know, a lot of times people will say like, oh, you don't look 40 or whatever. And honestly, I think my number one tip is like, stay out of the sun. My name is Sunny and I fucking hate the sun. <laughs> I'm all <laughs> about huge sun hats and like the biggest, chunkiest sunglasses I can find. Like, that's me. So anyways, did you want me to go over my muskin care routine? Yes. <laughs> I'm so curious. Like, I want to know what products you use, why you use them, and then how did you learn about these things? I mean, I get so confused with serums, for example, and this is very recent. I think thanks to TikTok, because there's a lot of people talking <laughs> about skincare routine on there. And I started learning that about applying things in a certain order. Whereas before that, First of all, I barely ever put on serums. I'm like, I don't even know what the point of this is. I've been like a big moisturizer person. I try to avoid washing my face, which is so silly, but it just like always seems so annoying <laughs> to me. So unless I'm like wearing makeup, I'm like, eh, I'll just do the bare minimum to get because <laughs> you can't see anything on your face, even though it's on there. Anyways, it's always felt confusing to me because I'm not that into beauty or skincare products. I only kind of do what I need to do. But to your point, Sunny, as you get older, as a woman, there feels like this pressure or increasing desire to take better care of yourself because unfortunately with age, a lot of things start to change in our bodies and we can start to feel very self-conscious about it. So if we can use products that empower us and help us feel more confident, they could have a ripple effect in our lives. So anyways, Again, I would love to know if you want to shout out any brands that you really like and why you like them. And then also like types of products and what makes you feel like they're important and how did you even figure that out for yourself? Oh, Jason, I hope you don't get bored. <laughs> okay, here we go. So first of all, I'm ready to learn. Doesn't this imply to men as well? It's not just ladies, right? Like, shouldn't men be taking good care of their face? Hell yeah. Let me say this shit before you dive deep, Sonny. Okay. <laughs> okay. I got some expensive ass moisturizers up in this bathroom. Okay. <laughs> like what? Maybe Jason should start and then yeah. Sonny can tell him tell him what uh <laughs> No man. I'm using like there's like a facial like a oil facial cleanser thing with like cockadoo plum and sea buckthorn and vitamin C type of stuff and I'm like a three step dude. I'll like exfoliate and then put like a what do you call it on? No, actually, I'm only two steps. I pretty much just like exfoliate a couple times a week. I wash my face with a really gentle cleanser that I mentioned with like sea buckthorn and all that stuff. 
And then I use a company called Living Libations. We'll link to that in the show notes at wellevator.com for you, dear listener. One of my favorite companies, Sonny. I've been using them for so many years. They have a men's line called Maverick and their skin cleanser and their moisturizer. It smells so good. It's got blue tansy in it and all of these herbs. And it's so luscious and beautiful. And I am also in my 40s. I'm also in the club. And I'm just trying to stay as plump and lifted and glowy as possible. Oh, my gosh. I want to look good, too, as I age. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love it. Like, spoiler alert, right? Like, I care about how I look. There's like a thing with like dudes, right? And listen, I ride motorcycles. I like sports. I like shooting guns. I'm a dude, too. Okay, whatever that means. Like, I like dude shit. But I like to be plump and moist and look damn good, too. And I think those (laughs) things can be absolutely compatible. So, gents, if you're listening, hit me up. I'll send you guys the links. Go to the notes at wellevator.com. Sunny, I'm passing the baton to you. Oh, my God. That was very inspiring. I think more guys need to hear that. I'm glad you exfoliate. I feel like a lot of people skip on that. And I feel like it's harder for dudes, especially if you're rocking some scruff, right? That can be kind of messy. But so... Before we even talk about products, I am like a gadget gal. I've been using this, I don't know the exact term, but it's some kind of fractal laser thing that heats up. It's like a, oh, I wish I knew it. Some kind of laser that you go over your wrinkly lines and then like 30 to 60 days, like you can kind of start to see. Is it the kind that has like two little balls that you put on your skin no, and it like holds it? But I know which one you're talking about. I think that might be like a microcurrent one. Right. Like yeah. Very, yeah. Okay. So I love that. Have you tried microneedling, Whitney or no. Jason? <laughs> okay. So, okay. To be honest, I haven't used it on my face yet. Well, I have like the hand roller one, but I have like a machine that I bought. This is how crazy we ladies are. <laughs> I went on eBay and I bought like the kind, like a whole system same ones they use when you go to get the procedure done and it's like a hundred dollars a pop and I was like oh for like 150 I could buy this machine and do it all the time and it came with all these like needle cartridges and I used them on my stretch marks like every month for I don't know like years and they made such a huge difference that I swear by them and I've always wanted to kind of make like a YouTube video to show the process but it gets like bloody and gnarly looking But I think that would be amazing on the face to do it with the machine. So after you do the exfoliation, right? Well, actually, first you want to take your makeup off. And I just use straight up argon oil for that. You can use jojoba oil or any kind of oil. And certain oils like those don't affect or sting the eyes at all. And then after you take the makeup off, exfoliation is great to start out with. And if you have sensitive skin, like even if you don't have sensitive skin, only a couple times a week is perfect. You want to slough off that, all the dead skin gunky stuff. And then use a cleanser that is best suited for your skin type. Jason, I love that you use an oil-based cleanser. There's some really nice ones that don't leave an oily feeling on the skin. Like as soon as they touch water, it just kind of becomes bubbly and rinses away. Those are actually my favorite types. And then after that, you want to use like a toner. I like using a rose toner because that's good for sensitive skin and aging skin, high in antioxidants. And then after the toner, I hope you guys are getting bored. No, I'm like checking off the things that I do. Like I use a rose toner. I just started using that recently and I love the smell of rose water. And I'm surprised, Jason, it sounds like something you would use too, because I know you love rose water for your face. Oh yeah. And also like Yes, I love rose water and I love flower essences and things like that. 
the one thing that I don't use in my regimen is toner. Mm. I don't know why. Maybe because I'm like, if I may, out of ignorance again, what is the point of a toner? Is it to shrink the pores, open the pores? What is the point of the toner? It kind of like, I know the sensation when I feel it. Yeah. My pores will feel so tight and then like a spritzy spritz spritz. And it's like, ha, okay. My face feels normal again. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I feel that too. And it's interesting because <laughs> my, uh, rose toner, which is, is that the one that I'm using is kind of like a common company. I'm sure I think Jason, you've either used this exact one. It comes in like a see-through pinkish bottle and you see it at most of the natural stores. Oh, I used that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great one. It comes out of the spray bottle so intensely that every time I use it, I have to like try to like get it the perfect distance because (laughs) it kind of shocks my face a little bit. But then right afterwards, I'm like, oh, I feel that awe feeling that you're describing (laughs) too. And part of it is the rose water is just so pleasant. Okay. So what comes after that toner? After that, that's when you go for your serum. And again, you always want to find one that's best suited for your skin type. I am currently obsessed with this brand called Botanical Rush. It's created by the same lady who created my Shell Dermaceuticals, which is another favorite brand of mine. Super yeah. pure, clean ingredients, all really effective, vegan, cruelty-free, yada, yada, yada. Well, actually, they're not all vegan, but like 90% of them are. So the Botanical Rush line uses CBD. So it's anti-inflammatory, anti-aging, la la la. <laughs> I love her line so much. And she has products for every skin type. And then let's see, after the serum, then we do the moisturizer. And I like my, I think because I'm an old lady, I like my moisturizers like so thick, like so incredibly thick. Oh, also sometimes for serum, I'll use like a Retin-A or something like that. Cause I have like hyperpigmentation and like blotchy red, like uneven skin tone. So Retin-A is good for that. And vitamin C, anything with vitamin C. So where are we at? No, the moisturizer, like a thick ass moisturizer all over the face. I've been only recently, I think because we're like coming out of winter, I've been put shellacking my eyebrows with like so much oil because they've been getting really dry and flaky and like weird, like nowhere else on my body, just my brows. And then I'll do an eyelash serum. I swear my regimen is so complex. And it'll be castor oil, which is supposed to promote eyelash growth. It's like a natural way to do that. And then I'll do an eye cream. Again, I like those really nice and thick. And Derma E has some lovely ones. Osea has some lovely ones. And Botanical Rush too. Like that's my only requirement for most of the creams. I just like it really thick because they seem to be the most moisturizing, hydrating. And then after that, I will put oil all over my face. And lately I've been using carrot seed oil because it has like the highest amount of antioxidants and it's like the number one anti-aging oil. It's expensive though. It's really expensive, but a little goes a long way. So that's that. And then I go to sleep and get my pillow all greasy. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) All right. If I may, can I just ask a very quick pragmatic question? Yeah. Okay. Being that this is a 30-minute process, we're going to get uncomfortable. I assume you do this if you are having sex with your boyfriend after you finish, because to do it before and then have sex, then you'd have to reapply everything. So then I'm going to assume, Sonny, you have to budget. Okay, we're going to get some good loving tonight. You're like, okay, I'm going to need to plan this so that I have that extra 30 <laughs> minutes before bed. Is this a thing? I'm asking seriously. Like, how do you budget this routine while having, you know, an intimate romantic relationship? You know what? (laughs) Not to mention children around, right? So Yeah, I want to know. When the kids are around, like, I mean, are there some nights where you 
you don't have time or is this like every night non-negotiable you have to do this routine no i'm pretty stringent unless like by some rare occasion i'm like drunk or like i just need to go to sleep now <laughs> um, but even then i'll get like a makeup remover wipe and just like rah, 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 over my face so I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I am divorced. I have my kids every other week. So for, you know, every other week, I don't have to worry about that. And also I'm in a long distance relationship and I only see my guy like once a month. It's very complicated. Oh, wow. So it's not like a huge, I don't even think about, honestly, it's never come up. And I feel like it's always been like, I get ready for bed, we cuddle and then it happens. And like, <laughs> he doesn't care that I'm a green ball or anything. Yeah. Well, you know, in a way, it also sounds kind of meditative and like a nice self-care ritual. Yeah. And it's not something that sounds like you're like forcing yourself. It's not unpleasant. I mean, sometimes I'll listen to music or meditative audio or yeah. something like that when I'm going through it. And it just feels like I'm taking good care of myself versus like doing something out of obligation. Oh, 100%. Like this is definitely self-care and it's something that I look forward to. Oh, and another recent addition that isn't like totally beauty, but kind of, but Osea has this Vegas nerve oil. That's an essential oil blend that you put some in your palm and you rub your hands and then you run up and down your neck, which is where your Vegas nerve is. And you also put some behind your ear and then you inhale and it smells so good. It's become part of my nightly regimen as well. That reminds me too. Do you use that? Is it pronounced a gosha? Oh, I don't know what that is. Jason, do you know the pronunciation? Oh, guasha. Guasha. Oh, yes. I do. Oh, have you tried that? Yes, I have a rose quartz. You know what? I have to give a shout out because I know you love them too. I get so many great tools for my self-care from Goddess Provisions, a subscription box. Yes. And I got one from them. It's this beautiful rose quartz tool that you can use in your face. But I have a moisturizer right now that I'm using from them. I might have, I didn't get the rose toner from them, but I got another like rose spray from them. And they always send like really great products. And I love things like that because it just makes it easier for me to try things when it's curated and sent to me. Yeah. Does Vegan Cut still have the beauty box or is it? They do have the beauty box, but their stuff isn't like clean exclusively clean ingredients. Mm. But Petit Vore, they more lean on those samples, but they're all very clean ingredients and vegan and cruelty-free. Um, yes. But yeah, it's nice to... Oh, Goddess Provisions. That's my favorite box. In fact, Me I have too. a few of those washas. I'm not quite sure how to present it, but that is my favorite one, the pink one. I think it just yes. the contours of my face better. It's and really uh, nice. It feels so good. Like every night you get this little face massage. It's so lovely. Yeah. And the more I learn about it, I mean, it's really good for just moving things in your face. I mean, there can be... um like the inflammation can just be like stagnant. Your muscles need to be touched. And this is part of the power of massage for the rest of your body. But often we don't think about our face. You know what else I use too? I didn't get from a goddess provisions box. It was from like a organic spa event I went to once and they gave us one of those vibrating facial scrub tools. What's the term for those? They're like the little silicone. Yeah. They're like not exfoliating, but you can use them to massage your face. And so they were saying it was really good for using with your cleanser because they're waterproof. So I'll put on a cleanser on my face and then use that to kind of massage it in. And not only is it helping with circulation, but I think it opens up your pores or makes it easier. And it's like considered kind of a light exfoliation. Ooh, I like that. I got to look into that. <laughs> also, I'm surprised you don't have that. I mean, again, I don't know what I'm doing. Like these are things I was 
gifted and I'm playing around with. It just seems like helping with the circulation in your lymph nodes and all of these things and how it can help with the tightening of your skin. And it's really fascinating. And a lot of this is based on supposedly ancient practices and different cultures. And so that's always fascinating to me as well. But thank goodness for goddess provisions because (laughs) I end up trying so many amazing things. And it's not all beauty products. It's like home goods and sometimes foods or drinks or whatever. And I'm so glad that you love them too, Sunny. That box brings me joy every single month. So I had to plug them. Oh, that's great. Literally out of everything I've ever gotten sent, that's what I get most excited about when it comes to my doorstep. Like Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And it's like this tiny little box, but there's so much in there. And I've been receiving it for over two years, I think. And it's like, it never ceases to amaze me. I hope I'm not making you jealous, Jason. <laughs> Honestly, Jason would love Goddess Provision. He totally would. It's not just for women. It's very you know, feminine, but that doesn't mean that men can't enjoy it. In fact, there was one, They twice I think they sent this incredible incense that Jason was so jealous of. Remember that incense, Jason? Yeah, I get jealous of a lot of the stuff in that box. I'm like... <laughs> It's the same feeling I get when I go to a clothing boutique. And listen, I know this is like, oh, a guy's talking about his fashion problems. But for real, like I'll go into a boutique and I've said to so many boutique owners, like, could you expand your men's section, please? They're like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah, because you have so much awesome stuff for women. And by the way, I have purchased many, many articles of women's clothing because not only does it fit great, but the fashion options are so much more diverse and interesting for women. Like, dudes, is like a black t-shirt and a jean jacket and wranglers and boots. Blech. It's like so boring most of the time. But to my point, yes, my interest in, quote, feminine things extends to clothing too. Like, y'all have some dope fashion. I'm like, <laughs> why can't dudes' fashion be this innovative? Like, for real. And I think that all the time. And that starts as, like, little kids, too. Like, when I go shopping for my two boys, like, they have some cute stuff, but it's the little girls' clothes with all the glitter and the frilly, like, foofies. And, like, they've got the cute stuff. It's always the girls' stuff. Like, always. <laughs> this is actually super interesting, Sonny, because there was a video probably two years ago from an acquaintance of ours named Mickey Willis. And he was posting these videos about his sons, his young, young sons, gravitating toward playing with dolls. And him in his parenting style, talking about him giving the freedom to his young boys to choose to play with whatever they wanted to play with. And he received, well, first of all, some support, but a ton of criticism from a lot of other parents being like, you shouldn't let your boys play with Barbies and dolls, and that's emasculating them at a young age, and all this stuff about gender roles and masculinity. And I'm curious with your boys, you know, if anything like that has come up in terms of them wanting to play with, I don't know, quote, feminine things like toys or clothes. And how have you navigated anything like that if it has come up? So my littlest guy, Dev, he's very into like babies and like he'll gravitate to, I guess you could say, quote unquote, like girlier colors or this or that. And I'm just very obviously open to it. I think that's great. And like, how did that, I know there's like a history of how that even began, but it's just a freaking color. You know what I mean? Or it's just a toy. Like people get so worked up over stupid shit. Like, like what you like. And I think it's I I don't know, it's a great opportunity to see how that plays out. So they're different like that. Everybody likes what they like, right? 
Yeah. And I think it's great that you're honoring that, you know, because there's so many people, I think, especially in terms of parenting, I mean, in social media in general, and the culture that certainly the three of us are in. But I feel like with parenting, and I'm not a parent, which is we've got you here to get your perspective on parenting, but so much people weighing in on what you ought to do or how you ought to parent. And I feel like, I guess, in terms of co-parenting with your ex-husband, you know, are there ever situations where like, okay, dad tells the kids to do one thing, but then when they come hang out with mom, mom's telling them something different and co-parenting in the way that you do, do those kind of things come up? You know, in terms of like, oh, well, we got the okay from dad to do this, but mom doesn't want you to do this. And what's that kind of negotiation like? Does that ever come up too? That's really interesting. Avi and I, my ex-husband, we're on the same page for most things. Like the only thing that stands out, like one example that sticks out is that, so I bought a group on Once Upon a Time, here's my story, for like a pole dancing class, right? And I enjoyed it so much that I wanted to buy a pole and practice at home and yada, yada, yada. And Avi was very like, no, I don't want that around the kids. We got divorced, not because of that. (laughs) But then like, I live on my own now. And I was like, you know what? Mama's getting a pole. And I don't use it at all. And my kids, especially my little guy, the guy who likes the dolls and stuff, he is a fancy man on that pole. And if you guys ever look at my like personal Instagram, where it's just like blasted with kids. I record so many videos of him doing these amazing tricks and spins. And I'm like, teach me your ways. I don't even use the pole. Like that is his pole. So that's like one example of where we didn't agree necessarily, but he came around once he saw like, ah, we put a stigma on things unnecessarily. Like it's a fitness pole. It's a fireman pole, whatever. He's spinning on it. He's having fun. Who cares? Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Did that answer the question? (laughs) But for the most part, when it comes to pretty much everything we're on the same page. I feel very fortunate about that. And I think that's why we have a really tight relationship. Like we just get each other. Were your your boys, were they of an age when you guys separated and got divorced where there was like, we need to sit down and explain this to you? Like what was in terms of their, I guess, reactions or their emotional processing around it, you know, at their age, like what what was that like for them? I guess, what were the conversations like around that? I'm really, really curious how you guys handled that as parents. So I think we got really lucky because they were ages three and five. And we just kind of turned it into like, you have two houses now, two rooms and mommy and daddy are, you know, like we still care for each other and we're so cordial and very friendly that I don't think they knew like there was no crying, even transitions. Like when we drop the kids off, pick them up, there's never any resistance or they get really excited to like swap houses. I don't know. I got really lucky. I mean, I was prepared for the worst. And I don't know if it's attributed to the ages they were at or just the way we speak kindly about each other or I'm not really sure, but I feel very, very lucky. It's wonderful to hear that because I feel like the cultural stereotype of divorce or marriage is transitioning at least, you know, with movies and I guess cultural imprinting, it's always, not always, most of the time, I would say, you know, done in such a negative, violent, combative way, emotionally violent, that is, you know, where I remember growing up and seeing these movies of like divorce and parents and going through it. And it's just cool that you guys, from what you're telling me, have had this pattern of appears great communication and compassion and working through it where I feel like it almost flies in the face of the cultural narrative we're taught. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's got to be messy and it's got to be painful and it's got to be just crushing. And 
it sounds like you guys are doing a wonderful job. Now, you're both in the Portland area. Is that correct? You, Everyone lives in the same city? Yep, still in Portland. That makes it a lot easier. And speaking of which, what inspired you or motivated you to move to Portland? Because when I first met you long ago, it was in Los Angeles. And then I spent some time with you when you lived in the San Francisco area, Oakland, technically, correct? Yeah. And then you moved to Portland after that. So what inspired the move? And this is something that Jason thinks about moving all the time. Sonny knows this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually DM'd Sonny back in November because I was in Portland for a vegan conference. And I was like, Sonny, I think I'm falling in love with Portland. Please <laughs> tell me about it. Sonny is my secret Portland consultant yeah, yeah. on the side. <laughs> I'm curious, like, what not only motivated you, what's kept you there? Have you ever thought about moving back to California and why or why not? So when Avi and I were new, new, so we were together for 14 years, but in the early days when we took one of our earliest trips to Portland, because it's the vegan Mecca, had to check that out, we fell instantly in love. And we were like, you know, if we ever get married and have kids one day, like this is going to be the place, this is going to be the place. So we both lived, he and I lived in LA for 10 years. And then we moved up to the Bay Area because he got a job up there. And that's where I had both my babies. And then my oldest was getting to kind of like kinder age. And we were like, we got to get out of here, even though we lived in a nice neighborhood. It's kind of rough. Cars were always getting broken into a little bit of gang culture, etc. So we were like, you know what? Let's do it. So we packed up and we moved to Portland and we keep going north, north, north. We keep joking, especially if Trump gets reelected, right? That we'll just move to Canada. <laughs> but yeah, Portland's amazing. It's so dreamy in every way. Like it fits our values and it's very community based. And yeah, there's all the vegan food and just like the natural parenting styles and all the greenery and the trees. Like it's crazy. The air is so fresh and you don't even realize it till you visit another city and then you come back and you're like, oh, fresh air. This is what it smells like. Oh, you take it for granted. So many beautiful woods and we're not that far from water and snowy mountains. And it's kind of like we have it all. And I think people are under the impression that it just like rains, rains, rains. But you know what? From like, I don't know, July to October, it's dry as fuck and you miss the rain so much. And then when rainy season starts, it's like romantic drizzle. It's never like downpour. And then by the time rainy season's over, you're like ready for summer. And by the time you're sick of all that fucking heat, like the rain comes. It's like so perfect. Wow. I just imagine Jason right now is like Googling places for rent in Portland after hearing that because <laughs> already on it already on it even for me I'm like wow you know what that does sound kind of nice even though I enjoy Los Angeles in a lot of ways that does sound very appealing and you know what? LA isn't that far like you hop on a plane it's like less than two hours away you know what I mean like still on the coast <laughs> yeah there's so many factors to this right because for me there's the conversation of like moving out of a far less dense urban area because I've lived in big, big cities my entire life. You know, grew up in the city of Detroit, Chicago, New York, Bay Area, LA, like a just city, city, city life. And I know Portland is obviously a city, but there's a vibe that I get when I'm there. And I've been there four times now, five times, four or five times. And every single time I'm there, I'm like, I know I'm in a city, but there's the hikes and the mountains and the rose garden. And, and like you said, Sonny, the air and it's a city, but it doesn't feel like there's an amount of crushing, dense urbanity that I feel like in LA or other cities. It doesn't feel like the city is out to crush the, the life out of me. That's one of the things I like about the time I've been in Portland. 
you have the access to the music and the culture and the food scene and the progressiveness and different ways of looking at life, but it just doesn't have that feel like, like I said, like a New York or SF or LA does where you're like, after a while, I don't know, for me, I feel like my nervous system has gotten to the point where, especially as quarantine is kind of being lifted as we're recording this episode, right? There's a part of me that kind of dreads going back to, quote, normal in LA. And I know it's not going to, like, there's no returning to the way things were for a litany of reasons, but the traffic and the aggression and the density that LA is known for, I kind of don't want it anymore. You know, I've like, I've had enough of it. And when you talk about Portland that way, like part of me, like Whitney's joking, but I've already looked at like houses for sale. I'm like, <laughs> you can get that in Portland for that price. Like I've seen stuff there as you know, you live there. Like I can't touch anything in LA for the prices that you can get in Portland. Can't touch it. It's, it doesn't even exist here. Yeah. And the market's actually kind of high right now. There's no sales tax on anything. So you automatically save 10% on everything. Oh I feel like this has turned into a pitch meeting now. This has turned into a pitch. Bring Jason to Portland. J Row to Portland, 2020. And you don't have to pump your gas, which at first it felt very awkward and weird. <laughs> and now like I'm in North Portland, so I'm pretty close to Vancouver or Washington. And if I'm ever up there doing chores, like I will wait till I get to Oregon to get my gas. So I don't have to pump it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What have you found though, in terms of obviously living in LA, living in Oakland, two of not only the most dense, but expensive cities in the US to live as an artist, as a content creator, as a businesswoman, you know, someone who's been obviously a blogger and a content creator for so many years. We talk a lot about as artists and entrepreneurs running small businesses. Whitney and I talk about this all the time of having a lower cost of living and less outlay. How has that affected your level of, I guess, creativity or freedom in terms of the art and the content you create, not living in a city that's so expensive anymore? Yeah. Like I feel in general, like the pressure is not as intense to like be working all the time and just pouring my heart and soul. Like I've stepped back a little and I try to only put out content now when I feel moved to do so, or like there's actually like a whatever monetary situation going down. But before I felt like, oh my God, I have to like be crazy about it. So I can take it a little slower and enjoy more free time and what, but yeah, the cost of living is great. One of the things I forgot to mention is not just community, but like people will look you in the eye and ask you questions and they have your back. And when it comes to traffic, like Portland, People have a reputation for driving too slow <laughs> and also like letting cars in, you know, like when you are letting a car into traffic, but like so many people will do it in a row that people behind them will get pissed off. Like if people are like too nice, <laughs> which is a really nice change of pace. Do you know what I mean? To slow down, to be forced to slow down, which just kind of like changes your everything and then go for a beautiful hike with the fresh air and the trees and the this and the that. It's pretty great. Even if you just get away just to visit, I like highly recommend the Pacific Northwest. It sounds so nice. And I'm going to use this as a little bit of a segue because you're describing a lot of like different states of being and living. And one thing I know Sunny and I discussed that Jason didn't know we were going to get into today is your experience with having open relationships. Yeah. Which is also a very Portland thing. Like that's Is very it really? Big. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Big part of the culture here for sure. Do you feel like I assume based on the timing, correct me if I'm wrong, that 
did that come up for you after you moved there? And did like the culture inspire some of those decisions in your relationships? Or is this something that you've been thinking about for a little while? And and I'll let you lead the conversation because I don't know, you know, what you want to share versus what you don't want to share, but I'm super curious about whatever you want to talk about. So I had never been really made aware. I mean, I think I'd seen specials on like 2020 or whatever, like sensationalized on TV, like raising kids when people are in open relationships. And I just thought, who are these wackadoos? What are they doing to their kids? Like, it just seemed like craziness. And I had never really like known the word polyamory or any of that stuff. So Avi and I, after having kids and living in Portland for a couple or a few years, like things started to get rocky. We were taking each other for granted, like falling out of love. Like it wasn't feeling super great. And I remember I was doing a photo shoot for my friend's jewelry line and the lady who was doing my hair, I don't know how it came up, but she was talking about how she was in an open relationship and she has so much love to give and how it's it's like enhanced her, her primary relationship and just going on and on and on and on about it. And it like put some thoughts in my head. Like it made me open to it. Like, huh, maybe she's onto it. Like she's seems really happy and she's been doing it for years and seems to be working out. So I brought it up to Avi one day, like shortly after that. And I think he got really offended and was like turned off to the idea. Like, no, I don't want to do that. And then like, I don't know, like a week or two pass. And then I hope I'm remembering this right. And he was like, okay, let's give it a try or whatever. So then we went on like the dating apps and blah, 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 blah. And I fell in love with my first Tinder date ever, who is a Canadian guy who lives in Nova Scotia, like on the other coast, like so far away from me. And he was just in town for work for like a few months. I didn't know I was going to fall for this fool. (laughs) Anyways, I realized that because I fell so hard for him so fast and he fell in love with me too. That even after he went back to Canada, we thought, oh, like, we'll maintain an open relationship. But we got so insanely jealous and possessive that after like a few months, we closed the relationship. And I realized at the core, like, I can't be that. I can't do that. I admire people who can and have all that love to give and share and it just be authentic and feel good. But I just can't. And the only reason I was able to do that with Avi, I think it's because we had been together for so long and there was already a strain. So it was kind of like a last ditch effort. And when we first started out, we our relationship actually did get stronger and we were more loving to each other. And there was like this new level of sweetness. And there's this term in the poly world called compersion, which is when you feel a genuine happiness for your partner when they're happy with someone else. And we both felt that when we were having like interact, you know, like when we were happy and it was genuine, it was really nice. And then like the more and more I was falling in love with this guy, I became a little bit more distant. Yeah. And there's just like fizzled from there. Thank you for sharing that because I'm fascinated by this and I'm fascinated by most relationship dynamics and similar to as we were talking about earlier about beauty, I think it's so important to share these things when you're comfortable with it because a lot of people are curious, but it feels like a forbidden topic in certain parts of the world, maybe not so in Portland. I mean, in Los Angeles, I hear people talk about this and Jason, I'm not sure if you want to share, but I know that you've kind of considered polyamory yourself. So I'm curious about like what you're feeling as Sunny shares this and if you want to share any of your experiences. Yeah, I, I suppose I've dabbled in the sense of years ago, and I had no idea what I was doing in my 20s. It was incredibly ignorant and messy, but I had a primary person. This was maybe when I was like 26 or 27 and then started dating someone else and was doing my best to maintain the primary and the secondary relationship. And it kind of all imploded because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I wasn't emotionally mature enough to 
communicate my emotions, my needs, my feelings. It was really not I mean, it is what it is, and I'm glad I had that experience. But if I reflect from the mid-2000s in my 20s on that, I was certainly not in an emotional space of maturity to navigate being in relationship, intimate relationship with two women at the same time. So both of those relationships ended up imploding. But more recently, have two friends that are in alternative relationships, one of which they have a daughter, a heterosexual couple. And then the woman in the relationship has a female partner who lives in a different city. And so they all have an alternative family unit and they've been doing it for years. And the communication and the respect and everything is amazing. And it's a wonderful archetype to look at how they're doing it. And I've known a couple of other people doing it where they will actually physically cohabitate with their primary partner, their child, and then the secondary partner, and they'll habitate in the same building. I have not ever gone that far with it. There was discussion with someone I dated several years back, a mutual friend of Whitney and mine, who when we met before her and I dated, she was in a polyamorous relationship. She was actually had three men that she was romantically involved with at the same time. And one of them was primary and she had two secondary partners. So I suppose I've been researching it and having my own kind of tertiary attempts at it. I've read a lot of the work of Esther Perel. I was turned on to her through Tim Ferriss and read several of her books and I guess in summary, I kind of feel like this. In my experience, I feel like there is a depth of intimacy that is created in a monogamous container. Like when I've gone deep with someone, I go deep and I really enjoy that in a romantic context of I'm going to focus on you. We're going to focus on each other and really go into the layers of who we are and create that deep bond and that deep intimacy. And there's also a part of me that knows that we are sexual creatures and we have desires and we have curiosities and And I don't know necessarily if being with someone and having sex with the exact same person for 60 years is a necessary or healthy thing. I don't know because I haven't been with someone that long. I guess in summary, I'm very curious about alternative polyamorous relationships and all the different versions that are out there. And I kind of just observe how my friends do it and just see, I don't know, I guess I'm still really, really curious about it, but haven't jumped full on board into actually doing it other than that one attempt in my 20s. The world of poly is, it can get very structured. I know you mentioned different types where like you're living with a partner or just seeing them once in a while and they live out of town or whatever. But there's this thing called like a polycule with a primary and this and this and that. And everyone gets tested for STDs. And it's very like done with such intent. Like it's an admirable structure. And sometimes I, I mean, I have those thoughts too. Like, is it possible to just like love the one per, I mean, I never thought I would get divorced. Like I thought I was in it to win it. And I knew Avi and I were going to be one of those couples that like died together and like we were going to last till the end. But you never know. You never know. I don't know. Whitney, would you be open to that? Have you considered it? I'm not opposed to it, especially not for other people. And I'm in the same boat of not knowing. I mean, at this point, I have never felt drawn to trying it, but I've certainly considered the benefits. And actually, when you were sharing, what was that word that you use when you're happy for the other person? Compersion. I mean, that to me sounds beautiful. And how wonderful if we can be at a place where jealousy is not so prevalent. And I think it's a lot related to the culture. You know, we have a very religious culture for the most part, a lot of traditions, a lot of like, what you shouldn't do. And marriage is often defined by 
benefits outside of love. You know, it's not always a decision that you're making because you're madly in love with someone. Sometimes there's other motivations behind marriage and it can be so confusing. This is why I think it's so important to talk about it openly because when we don't share our experiences, especially if they're unique, then a lot of us feel inclined to hide what we really want. It actually, this specific moment's reminding me of YouTube, like semi-controversy. And I won't name too many details because I'm not fully sure how I feel about it, but I've been observing other people react to it. And there's this couple on YouTube and the male in the relationship, it's like a religious couple, but the male in the relationship actually went through like some sort of therapy because he thought he was gay. And so he was like being pressured by his friends, family, loved ones or whatever. This is from my ignorance, right? From what I perceive that they were trying to like do the conversion so he would no longer be gay and that he could be a heterosexual relationship. And there's like this controversy online and people being like, just let him love whoever he wants to love. Why is he being forced into this? But I also don't know, is he forcing? Did he not want to be gay? Was he actually gay? You know, like there's so many gray areas in this. But then I also wonder, like, where is the pressure? Are people making decisions because they feel obligated or they're embarrassed or they're ashamed to love who they want to love and when they want to love? Do people stay in marriages that are lacking love simply because they're too ashamed to go through a divorce? And or they're doing it for their kids. That's a big thing, you know? And, and I certainly have had this mindset my whole life. Like if I get married, I never want to get divorced because I've had a lot of just fears around that. Like, and then the older I get, the more I realize, Hey, I don't even know if I want to get married. <laughs> I don't know if I want to have kids. Like there's pros and cons to all of it. And I also realized I don't have to get married, but I could choose to stay with somebody just because you want to be with someone the rest of your life doesn't mean that you have to put a label on it. And we also never know. We don't know how long we have with anybody. We don't know how we're going to evolve as human beings. And I like the idea of some openness, whatever that means. And I think that there's also so much stigma around when people cheat on one another. Like it's this horrible thing. But the older I get, I've also started to feel like, wow, what if instead of shaming somebody for cheating, what if we really examined why that happened? And I think a lot of the motivation behind cheating on somebody is simply that we don't have the openness or the communication skills to talk to our partners and say, hey, you know, something's tough with us. And so I'm driven into the arms of somebody else. Or, you know, I really want to have a romantic relationship with this other person. I don't know how to tell you that. I don't know how to ask you permission. So I'm just going to do it behind your back. Right. And that's something I, I reflect on a lot is why are we put in these positions where we have to either live a life that doesn't feel truly authentic, but maybe do things that brand us as being this bad person when I think if most of us examine ourselves, those are relatable desires. And unless you're doing it for a very religious reason, I'm not sure that it's that necessary to live that life if it's like a lie, if it's not truly making you happy. Why would you make yourself miserable your whole life, I guess, is what it comes down to just because of all of these structures that we have in place when it comes to relationships. Yeah, it'd be so simple if we could just be in the flow, right? And be in the moment and like every day is how it is. 
I mean, there's definitely some comfort in having that person or being married or having your long-term partner. And that's actually something like I yearn for. So I have a long distance relationship. Like he doesn't want to move. I can't move because I have kids. And like I yearn for, I don't know. (laughs) It's nice to have a forever person. And I guess you kind of just, there's different ways to make it work. And I don't know, I'm definitely still navigating like what normal relationship for me is going to be like. So everybody, I don't know, it'd be nice if everybody could just be open to it looking differently than what you expect. Absolutely. And Jason, for you, this reminds me a bit of something that I feel like you've been facing a lot recently with women that you've been in relationships with. It seems like there's, for a lot of women, there's a pressure to have children. And as we get older, we start to fear like, I'm running out of time. And then it seems like in a number of your dynamics, Jason, that sometimes it's women think they want to have children or think they want to be married. But they haven't necessarily stepped back to like observe. Is that a cultural pressure? Is that like some conditioning or is that what you really want? Yeah, I've come up against this a lot in my life, to be honest. I've been invited in my romantic partnerships to look at this and in the sense of really examining with my partners of, of, you know, why do you want this? And, and it's, it's a curiosity that I always want to know because I think the overarching thing that I'm taking away from this part of the conversation with you two ladies is for all of us, I think there's a thick set of layers of cultural and societal conditioning that if we are open-minded, free-thinking people we're coming up against, right? It's if you want to be happy, this is how you're going to set up your marriage. If you, you know, you got to get married, have, you know, this many kids, move to this neighborhood, buy this kind of house, you know, have this kind of car. I mean, not just in the materialistic sense, but I think our culture, our society, the marketing, the commercials, this set of cultural values in America is a very kind of set expectation. And it's been that way for decades, right? And for us in our generation and younger generations now, if you take something like divorce rates or the number of people staying single or the number of people that identify as queer, transgender, bisexual, alternative contexts of how they're relating sexually to the world, you know, in the past couple of generations, we're seeing conversations now in the mainstream, right? Because it's not like in our parents' generation or our grandparents people weren't having open relationships. I mean, I've heard some fascinating stories about people's grandparents. It's not like people weren't, you know, homosexual or bisexual. I mean, you go back into ancient cultures and some of the mythologies and the stories of civilizations and past, like none of these are new concepts. What I think is new though, is the public discussion in our culture about these things of people saying, yeah, I am bisexual, or maybe I identify as queer or transgender or using different pronouns, or I don't want to get married and that's okay. Or I I do want to have kids and that's okay. I think if we can do the courageous work to constantly ask what's real to me, like on an individual level, what are my deepest values? How can I connect with the core of who I am and like honor that changing and evolving? That's our real work. Because how many times, man, do we sit in in meditation or contemplation being like, where does that desire come from? Is that my genuine desire? Or is that something my parents, my religion, my culture, society, marketing, did they implant that in me? And I've had a lot of those conversations with my female partners of like, is this actually what you want? Or is this because your parents want you to get married? 
Is it because they want to be grandparents? Is it because this is what you think you ought to be doing to, I don't know, fulfill your femininity? Like you'll feel incomplete unless you fulfill this feminine role. I think it's a deep, deep conversation of, I don't know, getting to the core of who we are as people, each one of us. The other thing, Jason, I find interesting, if you're open to sharing it, and it's okay if you don't want to, of course, but in your current relationship dynamic, you're dating a bisexual woman. And I'm curious if you feel like sharing any of that experience. And I remember with her sharing how her friends reacted to her dating a man, because I think previous to you, she was dating women. And it was like she was even facing judgment from her close friends about the gender of person that she was dating. Yeah, that's all very true. And, you know, I've been just holding a sense of support and curiosity because watching certain people in her circle be like, I thought you were just like into women now. I thought like that was a thing. Like, what do you mean you're dating a dude? Like you're with a guy now? And seeing, I don't know, subjugation is a heavy word, but kind of like putting the screws to her a little bit. And she's like, if I fall in love with someone, I fall in love with someone. Like her whole thing was like, I'm allowed to feel how I want to feel. And I don't need to be tied to your expectations of who I ought to love. I don't need to be tied to the expectations of a title. If I proclaim that I'm gay or bisexual or trans or whatever the thing is that someone declares. And we continue to have a lot of conversations around how people see you put a title on yourself and then expect you to follow a set of rules and behaviors based on how they perceive that title. And it's a deep thing, right? It's like, oh, well, you said you were this. You said you were Christian. You said you were gay. You said you were a Democrat. You said you were vegan. You said you were whatever. And then if you do anything outside of those preconceived notions of that label, certain people will come out with the pitchforks. It's really fascinating to see people react in that way. Sunny, how has this experience for you shifted your views on relationships, given that, as you said, we're in a marriage that you thought was you were going to be in it for the long haul, and now you're in love with somebody else? Do you still crave? I mean, it sounds like you do from what you're saying, but do you see yourself wanting to get into marriage again or not wanting to put labels? Like, What has shifted for you? So I definitely want my forever person, like that whole experiment of opening up the relationship proved to myself that I I can't hang. I don't have it in me, although not knocking anybody who can, like I just, I can't. So I want my forever person and I'm in a strange predicament right now. Neither of us know how we're going to make that work. And as far as getting married again, I always tell my God, I want to be fake married, you know, like the ring ceremony, big party. And then that's it. Do you know what I mean? No paper, no legal stuff. But it's like, we have a party because we love each other. And we're our people, each other's people. Like, I like that idea. And I like the idea of I know this is not very like feminist or whatever. But you know, like kind of being somebody's not property, but like, I belong to you, even though you know, like, I don't mean that in a property kind of way, just in a romantic, like your heart is mine, right? Yeah. So I definitely like that idea and I crave it. And one thing I've noticed is since moving out like post-divorce and having my own place, I also realized that I really like my space (laughs) and I almost (laughs) feel like I don't want to live with a man ever again. And that having a long, I know it's this dichotomy, like what does this bitch want, right? Like having a long distance relationship is actually quite nice because I get my space and then we come together and it's like, we've been together for three years and it's always fresh. Like every time we see each other, it's like honeymoon phase is going to last a lifetime, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it just is what it is right now. 
But I will say the way our situation's set up, because he works at sea six months out of the year, like two months on, two months off. And then when he is off, like he lives in Nova Scotia. So we don't get a whole bunch of like hang time, but I do like my space. So like, I want a fake marriage, but I don't want to live with my person. That's how I want it to go down. (laughs) And I love that. I mean, I think that's really cool to know that as well as, and I think that it's a beautiful thing when we come to know ourselves more and more and what we want versus trying to shape our lives around what we think we want to Jason's point, you know, and I'm actually very grateful that I haven't been married yet. And I guess you never really know what your life would be like if you made different decisions. But I feel like if I had been married a lot younger, so much has changed in my life. Like who's to say I would have wanted to be in that relationship because I chose that person almost as if I was a different person back then. Like when I look back of over men that I've dated and how those could have turned into relationships, I'm like, I don't know if I'd still want to be with them at this point in my life. And maybe that's true in all different phases of life. And sometimes I feel like I'm almost like turning into more of like a commitment phobe because as I as I continue to evolve, I feel those similar things, Sonny. It's like I almost want the choice to have an out. And I can't even believe that I think that sometimes because in the past, I just felt so strong about marriage. Like, of course, I'm going to get married and I'm probably going to have kids. And why would anybody not want to be married or why would they want divorce? It just didn't make sense to me. But what you're describing reminds me of myself in a way where it's like, it's nice to know that you can kind of be your own person in a lot of ways. And I think in some relationships, we make so many choices based on what the other person wants. And there's a beauty to that. Like to your point, Sunny, like feeling like you belong to someone and you're in it together. And that partnership is so wonderful. But so is being independent. And I think having that freedom and flexibility can actually take place in a lot of dynamics. I'm also like imagining Jason thinking how cool that sounds because he always talks about how much he enjoys his space. (laughs) Oh, yes, I do. I do. I was like, when you were saying it, Sonny, I'm like, relatable, relatable. (laughs) And, you know, you talk about alternative structures and how much we impose, we as a society collectively impose our structures or how things ought to be on other people. I remember years and years ago when I randomly heard about how Tim Burton and Helena Bonham Carter live and raise their child or children. Can't remember how many they have, but they literally bought houses in LA next door to one another. So they're married and they have kids and they were together for years and years and years. And I was like, how interesting. I remember like that was the first time I was ever exposed to this idea of two people being in a marriage with children, but willfully and consciously choosing to live in different home spaces. And I remember reading that and going like, that sounds cool as hell. (laughs) That's like your ideal, Jason, honestly. It is because I love togetherness and I'm very romantic and I'm very physical and I love all that stuff. And I'm also, though, very much when it is time to create and it's time to write or make music or sit down and do my work, I want to be alone and I want to be isolated and I want to be left alone. And it's that balance to me of togetherness and separateness. And it reminds me of the quote from The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. It's one of my favorite books. And he talks about how the pillars of the temple stand apart. And by being space in the togetherness of the pillars of a temple, that's what makes it strong. That's what keeps the temple up. If the pillars were too close together, the shit would collapse. He doesn't say that. That's me paraphrasing. (laughs) Much more eloquent, Khalil Gibran. Much more eloquent. 
but to me, that metaphor stands of like, I can be with you and we can be committed to one another in whatever context that is. But if we want to do this differently, let's do it differently and fuck what everyone else thinks. Oh, I love that so much. And I feel like so many couples bicker over like stupid shit. Like you drop this on the floor, or you don't do the dishes right or this or that. Imagine like everything you do in your house, that's how you do your thing. And then your partner does their things the way you do it. And you respect each other's space when you're in it and have as many sleepovers as you want. And when you need a retreat, like you have your own space. Like that really sounds ideal to me too. And I remember when I was a little kid, like through college, I had that idea of like, I don't know where that came from, but I had some relationship wokeness. I was like, I want to have a person, but I don't want to live for that person. I don't know where that came from, but I also didn't want kids that came together. Like, I don't want to live with my partner. I don't want kids, which changed, obviously. But yeah, I think that's crucial. That's at the crux of so many problems is just too much time and space and just being, I don't know, it can wear on a relationship for sure. I think that's super ideal. I had no idea they had structured their relationship like that, their housing as such. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, I think too, like if I look back on Esther Perel, who I mentioned her amazing books, and she's got some incredible TED Talks that we will link to in the show notes at wellevator.com, her books and her TED Talk. She talks a lot about how the part of the human brain, like the erotic romantic part is always looking for diversity and novelty, right? And she talks about why kink and role playing and playing dress up and all the things that we do in terms of our erotic spectrum as humans, how that activates certain parts of our brains that are receptive to that, that are looking for variety and novelty and different things. And whether that, again, is our sexual kinks or the things that we explore in our relationship, or it's just like, oh, I get to come over to your house and have sex in your bed. That's cool. (laughs) Right? Like To me, there's a part of my brain that gets activated by that novelty and that specialness and that differentness. And for me, I know that not just sexually or romantically, I thrive and I crave diversity in my life. I want to be exposed to different things and new things. And and that spills over into my erotic life too. I want to try new things and experiment and be different. And it's like, there's no formula. I mean, there can be boundaries and structure, yes. But I don't know. I just think there's a part of, as Esther Perel talks about in her work, that a new form of thriving sexually with a partner is willfully exploring the idea of diversity and variety and novelty and making sure that stays alive in your relationship. Wow. I feel like through this conversation, Sonny, Jason's going to move to Portland (laughs) and he's going to end up living on his own, but having a partner who lives somewhere else. I mean, Jason, I feel like your whole life is coming together in a new way (laughs) through this. There's definitely got to be a ton of room for more animals. Yes. So land. Oh, yeah. And then maybe on that land, a a few tiny houses, you know, and just like, (laughs) cool. you've got the one tiny house can be our sex den. And then we live in the other two. Great. Great. (laughs) And then a farmhouse for the animals. Great. Done. (laughs) You don't want to get them confused. So which one's the animal barn and which one's the sex den? Do not get them confused. Very bad. Very bad. (laughs) I'm going to make another segue as enjoyable as this is, but something that we wanted to touch upon is ageism and just the ideas around getting older. And I think this kind of relates in a lot of ways because you're talking about beauty and beauty culture and shame and relationships. Like a lot of these topics do bring up fear and shame within people. And I think there's so much when it comes to getting older. 
And I find myself feeling like, "Mm, what word do I want to use here? Almost like defensive because not towards myself necessarily, but just like I get triggered. I guess that's probably the better word to describe this when people seem to feel self-conscious about their age. And like, I see people in their 30s talking about how they're old. And I'm like, what are you talking about? If (laughs) on average, we live into our late 80s and there are so many ways that we can promote longevity in our lives and and thus may live into our 90s and maybe past 100. You know, that's a very common thing now. Why do we think that being over 20 years old is old? Why is there so much ageism? And I find it very disturbing. I especially see this with women, but I see this with men too. And Jason, I know you felt really vulnerable when you turned 40 and it was kind of like this big deal. And I know people in their 50s and they feel really uncomfortable. And I'm sitting here thinking, wow, like who planted this idea in our heads that once you're over 20 something, once you pass into your 30s, somehow you're already an old person and everything's downhill from there. And you have to like, there's so much like insecurity and fear around it and people lying about their ages or not telling people how old they are. I mean, I felt this way too. I never talk about my exact age because I have this like, there's part of me that doesn't want anybody to judge me for my age. And then there's another part of me that's like, why do you even care how old I am? Like, why should who I am be shaped by my age unless it's like a positive thing? And on that note, I think there are so many positive elements to age. As I mentioned, just noticing how my views on relationships have changed. And Jason talked about maturity and how that shaped him so much and how when he was in his 20s, he didn't really know what he was doing, right? I mean, there's so many benefits to becoming older. It's a blessing. And it's also something we don't have control over. You know, we're either no longer living or we're getting older. And that happens to everybody. And yet age is such like a concern for a lot of us, especially when it comes to our appearance. So I'm curious about each of your perspectives on that and yeah, what you're feeling, what you're observing, whatever you want to talk about that. Yeah, aging is definitely a blessing, especially when you hear of people getting heart attacks and strokes in their 40s and 50s. And you're like, well, shit, I want to live a long life. Like, okay, every day is great. And yes, all the wisdom and like sinking more into yourself and like getting to know yourself better and your worldly views and all that stuff. But I will say as a female and 40, or like when I was in my late 30s, like all of a sudden jumping back into the dating scene, it is definitely different for women, right? Because women like the older men and men like the younger women. So like your pool, your dating pool is like, is it's like so teeny tiny. And then you swipe through and you're like, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm one of those women that would probably, I mean, I have a guy, my guy is a little bit younger than me, but if I didn't have someone like, I like the idea of like an older person, I think that's cool. So I get it. But yeah, so the pressure is on to look extra delicious because I mean, first of all, these people are probably filtering out the fate, like an age range, like at cap it at 35. So you already are like discounted by so many people right off the bat. And then like with the swipey swipe, swipe, you've got to look yummy, right? Like over the top. And there's just this constant, there's already constant pressure as a woman to look a certain way. Even if you've been raised by super loving, awesome, forward thinking parents, like we're bombarded with it, media, like everywhere. It's just like, we're never enough. We never look cute enough. And there's so much competition. And we look at other ladies like, why can't I look like her? Blah, 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 blah. So 
that's when things changed for me when I all of a sudden was like, oh, I'm dating people. So I need to like crank stuff up again. And that's when I like lost a bunch of weight. Like I was shedding my baby weight super fast and doing like unhealthy things to get there. And just like caring so much about like getting the like glued on fake eyelashes. It's insane. Like the kind of crazy stuff we did, like we do to look good. It's expensive. It's time consuming. And maybe ultimately dudes don't even care. Maybe Nobody cares. I don't know, but it's just this pressure we put on our on ourselves and it sucks. And how about when it comes to your career too? I mean, for you, I noticed this as well, even though I, I really try not to let it impact me, but being a content creator, blogger, influencer, whatever you want to call it, there's a lot of young women and young men on these platforms that seem to be dominating. And I certainly wonder sometimes like, wow, it seemed like when I was younger on YouTube, like more people were watching me. And sometimes I wonder, are my views less on YouTube because I've gotten older and like YouTube's a lot younger. And so maybe they're not interested in me. And that's like, to me, so sad. I don't know if that's the case at all. Who knows what it is. But the fact that I have to wonder these things and wonder, is my value decreasing? And then I start to feel really rebellious. And I'm like, I'm not going to let that stop me. I also look to people that I really admire and a lot of them are older than me. Like I tend to think, you know, find older women and men that just seem so wise. And that keeps me going because I don't want to feel like my value with the work that I'm doing has anything to do with my age. And if it does, I hope that it impacts me positively. However, to your point, Sunny, especially curious about your experiences because you're in this beauty world and a lot of beauty seems to be attached to age. So have you felt like pressure? Do you talk about your age publicly? Do you tie that into your work? Like here's how to look younger or here's how to keep your skin looking good in different ages. Do you feel like as you've gotten older, things have shifted and positively or negatively for you with your online work? I'm very open about my age. I think I I've said that in like so many posts, I've like thrown it in there. And like when I turned 40, I was like, I'm 40. (laughs) I was actually really excited about turning 40. But honestly, I think that's because I wanted, because I do get a lot of like, oh, you're looking for your age. So I I like being like, I'm 40. I think it's because I'm vegan. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Just kind of using it as a jump off point. Like, oh, you want to know why I'm vegan? So like, I'm proud of my age, even though there's still, and I also am healthier and more fit than I've ever been in my entire life. Like I'm the best version of me right now. So I'm like, (laughs) like 40 doesn't really mean anything because I feel better than I did when I was 30 or 35 or whatever. I'm losing track. What was the question? (laughs) Well, first of all, I just want to say, I mean, I think that's amazing because there's all these misconceptions about like when you get older, life gets worse or something. I don't know. It's so silly because I think that maybe people don't feel as good as they did when they were younger because our metabolism changes and our hormones are changing. And if you don't know how to take good care of your body, of course, you could feel like you're suffering, especially if your whole life you've been taking poor care of yourself. It's going to catch up with you over time. And I think part of what you're experiencing, Sonia, is you have awareness about products that keep your skin looking good and you know how to eat so that your body feels good. And maybe, you know, some exercises that make you feel good. And those all contribute to you thriving no matter what your age. And I think that's a really important message too. The other part of my question was about how that's impacted you 
And if it's impacted you with your career as like, let's just call you an influencer, even though blogger, content creator, whatever word you want to use. But I think the influencer world, to me, there feels like a lot of pressure to either be a young woman or look like you're a young woman. I think I've come to terms with it. I'm like so chill about everything VBR right now. I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm so at peace with it now. And I feel like people who have followed me from the get-go are still with me and they age as you're aging and your audience kind of shifts as you get older, like older people start watching you. Like, I think it's a very fair and equal shift for the most part. And yeah, there are a lot of, it's also such a saturated, like maybe not, well, even the vegan beauty circle, but like just social media and influencers is so saturated and everybody's young. Like why stress out about that? Like, what are you going to do? Like, what's the point? And I think the best thing to do is to look at them and admire them. And I don't know if they're offering awesome content, like who cares how old they are, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's how I feel. And I actually find myself cringing when people bring too much attention to their age in a negative way. Like you see this a lot on TikTok. People will be like, I'm too old for this app, but I'm on here anyways. And I'm thinking, I'm not judging your age. Like, I wish that you would just express yourself without drawing attention to your age. And also, as we know, if you don't tell somebody how old you are, it's really hard to know because people might just assume that you're a lot younger than you are anyways. I'm not like looking at somebody like trying to guess exactly how old they are because I don't care that much. Anytime I find myself focused on age, I find it's about comparison. It'll be more like, wow, am I doing better or worse than this person at their age? Like if they're younger than me, like, wow, are they more successful? Why aren't I that successful? I'm older than them. Or maybe they're at my age and I'm thinking, wow, like, look at us. Like I look so much younger than they do. A lot of the times it's like ego related comparison. And so I found myself really trying to step away from that because it doesn't serve me to try to compare myself to somebody. And it is like such an ego-driven thing and like a fear-based thing. And so age ultimately doesn't really matter that much. I mean, if we really strip it away, like when does age matter? There's like a few things in terms of like how our system is set up in the government legally. Like there's certain things you cannot do if you're a certain age and there's like rules in place, right? And then there's certain things that change a lot, like our bodies change as women. And so, yeah, we may not be as fertile or as able to have children, but you also see a lot of people having children past certain ages. So there's maybe even misconceptions around those things, too. So I guess like the more that I've started reflecting on my own relationship with age and noticing how other people react to it, I've learned a lot about it and try just not to give it too much focus. How about you, Jason? I think it's interesting for men. Like, It seems like there's not as much stigma around age when it comes to men, but I'm curious about your experiences with it. I think there's two sides to look at this. And one side is the physical part we're talking about, the appearance or the signs of aging. I think it's interesting because in terms of the dating pool, like I have noticed that probably for a few reasons, like women have started responding to me very differently now that I'm in my early 40s. I'm turning 43 this year. And I've had women comment like, oh, I love your smile lines and I love the gray and all this stuff. And that's all very recent, like the smile lines and the signs of aging. That's all very, it's a recent development for me, right? So I'm still getting used to like, oh, 
okay, I got a lot of gray in my beard and my head and interesting things are happening to my body. Not anything crazy. I feel like I'm still in good shape, but you know, things change and certain things start being different. And I've noticed that that women are like, oh, the gray looks amazing and all this. And that's all well and good. I think the struggle that I have is is very much, as you said, Whitney, a comparison and an ego one in the sense that, okay, I'm 43. By this age, I thought I would have, be, and do all of these things, right? In my mind's eye. Oh, you thought you would be in this economic bracket or this level of success or these career things that you had intended didn't come to fruition. And the struggle that I have is it's not so much running out of time or the idea that like the clock is ticking for me to be successful per se, but it's almost like the kind of flippant, not give a fuck energy of my 20s of like, I don't really need to think about the impact of my decisions at all. And I'm going to try this and this and this and this and this. And now it's like, oh, I have all these financial responsibilities I didn't used to have. And I have this house and I have animals to take care of. And there's a different set of responsibilities and things I've taken on in life that I didn't have in my 20s when I was making a lot of different career experiments and singing in bands and doing all this stuff. And wasn't thinking about my retirement, wasn't thinking about money. I'd give a fuck about those things. And now it's almost like, oh, dude, you're in your 40s and you think about house and investments and all these things you didn't used to be concerned about. And I guess it's my roundabout way of saying like, I get freaked out and self-conscious about aging because I feel like I've wasted time or I've, I don't know, not done as much as I could to put myself in a position of success or abundance or those things. It's again, it's ego in comparison or looking at people my age who have done more or had more. It's all an opportunity for me to not be so hard on myself and not beat myself up so much about what I haven't done or haven't accomplished by 43. That's really what the core of the challenge is for me. That's really interesting. So it's similar, but in a different kind of way, right? Those pressures that we have for as we get older, just male versus female, right? Yeah, it is like that. It's like, but I think it goes back to Sunny, this idea that through, again, our families or culture, religion, media, whatever it is that, oh, you're in this age bracket and therefore you ought to have this. Like, you ought to look a certain way as a woman or as a man, you ought to have achieved a certain kind of financial abundance or success. I mean, I think that in different ways, as you said, we're subjugated to pressures and expectations, but they're different you know, for men and women. But the pressure is still there. And part of my work and my healing is not allowing those pressures or expectations to make me feel bad about myself, make me feel like I've failed, make me feel like I'm not doing good enough. And a lot of my work with my mental health is around those things of like, hey, whose voice is this? Is this actually your voice or is this society? Is this media? Is this some subconscious belief system that you're still holding on to that, I don't know, your life ought to have turned out differently? And that's something I still battle with all the time, all the time. Yeah, it's all interesting food for thought. And I think the thread through here and a lot of these topics that we've explored today is finding what works for you and feels best for you and and letting go of a desire to follow the rules and fit in. And I guess it's like freedom of expression too, and just tuning into what you really want. Yeah. And that's the journey though, isn't it? I mean, it goes back to one of my favorite authors that I reference a lot on the podcast, Joseph Campbell, that if you're walking someone else's path and there's a path laid before you, you're not on your own path. You're not on your own journey. And I think for all of us, there is a courage and there's a independence that comes with like, you know what? I'm going to figure this out for myself. I'm going to live my life my way. I'm not going to allow myself to be subjugated to other people's expectations or predications of how I ought to be living. And 
you know, that takes a lot. I think it takes a lot of energy to do that and to be a rebel, you know, and <laughs> I'm already an incredibly rebellious person. So I think the journey to, I don't know, the journey to self-awareness, the journey to living a life of autonomy of your own choosing, it takes time. It takes time to figure out what that means to each one of us. So it's just been an amazing, deep, wonderful conversation with you, Sunny, today, and certainly have gone like way deeper than we've ever gone with you before, <laughs> which has been exciting. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was fun. And I feel like we covered a bunch like all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it was delicious. And if you, dear listener, want to jump into finding more about Sunny's amazing work in the world and her videos and her tutorials and her amazing tips on conscious living and cruelty-free living and eco-friendly beauty, we will have all the links to her social media handle so you can stalk Sunny and find out more about her amazing work. <laughs> and for any of the companies, the brands, the resources, the books, the quotes, any of the things for you, dear listener, to dive deeper into this work of self-discovery, you can find all of those resources in the show notes at wellevator.com in the show notes section for this episode and all of the episodes of This Might Get Uncomfortable. And to dive deeper into your healing journey around mental health and emotional wellness and self-discovery, we've got some great free eBooks on our website and a couple of guided courses that you can take if you want to take your work even deeper. And if you ever want to connect with us on social media, we are at Wellevator on Facebook and Instagram, Pinterest and Twitter. And you can always shoot us an email directly. Whitney and I always love hearing from you with your ideas for future episodes and your comments and feelings on episodes we've done in the past. And that email is hello at wellevator.com. So as we go on, Sunny, I hope to see you in Portland soon. Yes. You mean when you move there? <laughs> I'm like raring to go. I'm raring to go. So Jason's like, going to be like, hey, Sunny, guess what? I'm your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you ever need the animal barn or the sex dungeon, oh, we can. Shit. Anyway, <laughs> just don't confuse them. Please, please, please. <laughs> All right. So with that, dear listener, thanks for being with us as we got really uncomfortable in this episode. And uh, Sunny. <laughs> We adore you and appreciate you so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Love you guys. Mwah. Love you too. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.